this is the Talking Point, the IMAX Group Podcast. Your one personal interest to buy an organic juice and put that in your mix is not you buying for your lifetime. You're going to make an impact that's as positive in that one event as in maybe 20 lifetimes you could lead. Today we're discussing innovations in sustainability and food waste management. Kit Watts, IMAX Strategic Communications Director, is with Yalma Siddiqui, Vice President, Corporate Sustainability at MGM Resorts, talking through MGM's deck of cards approach. This episode was recorded prior to the lockdown, which means any events mentioned in this conversation may have been cancelled or postponed. First, I want to express how excited we are to know that <laughs> the, this deck of cards has shown up as an idea indeed, hey? in this year of imagination report that you've put together. It's wonderful that it was discovered. This notion really came out of a project we did with Meet Green. We decided three years ago to look at what we were doing in terms of sustainable events. How were we helping clients? What, what were their pain points? What were their challenges? And we hired Meet Green. We uncovered that we were actually the first venue that had hired Meet Green to work on a venue sustainability strategy. And uh, I was surprised, but pleased, because who better than to advise the venue than the consultants that do the greatest work for advancing sustainability in events. Normally they work on the planner side, not on the venue side. So out of a three-month project where we investigated what the challenges were, we had internal teams do brainstorming, we prioritized ideas, out came the problem that planners and venues often either find sustainability too abstract or too complex because there's long checklists or they think it's super simple, just recycle. And there was really nothing in the middle that solved it in a tangible way. And so we we felt graphics were really important to Mm. visualize what we're talking about. So it's not just a checklist. We felt modularity was really important. So you could separate the ideas and organize them with two people or one person or a large group. So, you know, there's a very distinct moment in a workshop when someone said, why don't we not create a brochure or not create a checklist, but let's create a deck of cards sort of fits with Vegas in a way, and it brings that modularity and graphic design that we wanted. So have you ended up with 52 cards? Does it go that far? Of course, why not? 52 cards, four... (laughs) 52 (laughs) cards, four categories, you know, venues, food and beverage, decor and signage, outreach and education. Unfortunately, not 13 per section. We didn't quite have that because we didn't want to be so structured. But um, we've really found these to be helpful. So how do, I mean, how do people get their hands on them? Is, is it the case that somebody comes to your venue, they're organizing an event, does this become part of the conversation way before or maybe after you've got the contract? Where do, how do, what's the process around it? How are you using them? Well, I'd say the majority is with existing clients who would like to advance sustainability during, during their event. And so previously when, when we were asked by a client, you know, we want to make the, our event more sustainable. What can you offer? We'd often ask them, "What do you want?" And it became this yeah. this chicken and egg <laughs> scenario. And and so when that happens now, we say, "Well, here's the handy dandy deck of 52 ideas. Um, some of them you just get. Say you're at Mandalay Bay, mm. you get." a solar array on the roof that you can talk about. Almost any resort uh, on the Strip, um, an MGM resort, you'll get back of house recycling. But then there's a series of things that you would have to choose and let's choose together. 
Is your focus waste? Okay, there's a whole series of ideas associated with waste. Is your focus um, food? Well, there's a whole food and beverage section. Is it MSC, Marine Stewardship Council certified seafood? Is it local produce? Is it avoiding bottled water? What, what is it? And so let's very simply create three piles of cards. Some that are yes, we're gonna go ahead with because you're gonna get or it's just part of your original plan. Some are no, doesn't make sense. We can't make this claim about the venue or we don't wanna do this because either it's not appropriate for our plan or it's, we think it's gonna be costly or whatever. And then there's some maybes where our team as a venue, catering teams or commercial service team need to go out and investigate. You know, if you want organic chicken, what is the cost delta? There is gonna be one. If you wanna avoid bottled water, what is the savings? Maybe you can use the savings from bottled water to pay for the organic chicken. Nice. Um, those sorts of conversations naturally unfold when we're using these and we've used them again one-on-one -on -one or in large group settings and then also online. So we'll have PowerPoint, if teams are virtual, mm. we'll have a PowerPoint, we'll go through the same process. But then out of these conversations comes a plan. Okay, you've chosen to do this. And that plan is, is, a, is a supplement to the macro event plan. So there you are. Wonderful. That's, what, that's how it works. And you talked about more planners coming to you asking for this help. What's the trend? Is it hopeful and upward, I hope? I, I, Karina mentioned to me, our CEO, uh, a few weeks back that, that she'd heard from you guys. I'm not sure who, who it was on your team that some of this demand is coming more from Europe than the US. Is that really the case or have I misremembered what she said? Where is that demand and how's it going? I'm not sure specifically to this this area of sustainability in terms of sustainable events, but in general, I'd say Europe is more advanced in, in, in many aspects of, I'd say, full-spectrum sustainability, so environmental, social, okay. economic. That said, to respond to your question about where is demand coming from, I'd say there has been a relatively low amount of interest for a while, but then suddenly, literally suddenly, two years ago, there was a sudden spike. Practically every tech company that hosts events, and there's lots of them, a lot of our business at MGM is, is, is tech, suddenly started asking, what, how can we incorporate sustainability into, into our, our event that's coming up? What is the offering? And then um, healthcare, then transportation providers. And, and, and so I'd say what, what I'd characterize the market as today is there is, we're out of the innovation stage, sure. where it's really only that tiny segment. We're into the early adopters, okay? And the early adopters are primarily segments, tech, healthcare, travel, maybe automotive to some degree. But really the next stage is getting those, that mainstream middle of event planners to recognize these innovators and early adopters have figured out, wow, sustainability is possible during my event. It can be interesting. It can help me achieve my other objectives. It can sometimes help me save money. It can help engage my attendees. I'll feel good when I do this stuff because I want to contribute. It's a huge one because it's really ultimately often this is about people and, and personal legacy or helping the world through our presence here. Sometimes it's about having a higher purpose or a higher mission, a vision. Um, I think it's particularly key for the younger generation coming into the... I, mean, I, I hate to call them a younger generation because it makes me feel like an older generation. Mm. But the truth is... If you're a 20 or 30 year old planner, you have very different values living on this planet than, than you or I do. With yeah. the greatest respect, we've, we've learned or maybe we've always cherished these values, but we haven't had a chance to express them. Yeah. We know that these younger generations, they will spend their dollar in a much greener way. They know the power of their, their choices and they are using them, particularly yeah. in Europe. So. Um, it's one thing for the planner to feel good about it, but actually that imperative is going to come from your audience, whether you like it or not. So it's right. good to be on the, the, yeah. front, the front foot. So yep. I, I totally agree about the millennial 
um, ethos, partly because it's been part of education for them for longer. It wasn't necessarily part of curriculum in advance, so there's just greater knowledge. There's obviously greater media interest in these issues, and not just environmental, but social issues as well. Yeah. And I, I agree that there's a genuine interest in more people in decision authority, that have decision authority now. They've entered the career, they've entered the workforce, right? They, they want to bring that, those personal interests and personal ethos into the professional domain. I'm very excited about that because I think historically, you know, if you think about, and this is actually very big in England, you know, the green consumer and the power of the dollar. Historically, our focus and lens in the environmental sustainability community has been on that individual choice, that individual actor who can make a, make a decision, you know, to buy the organic um, juice or mm. to go to Oxfam and buy something or, or give to charity. But when you take that individual interest or ethos and scale it, to the level of a business decision that might affect 20,000 people at an event or 100,000 people, because some of these events are so huge. Your one personal interest to buy an organic juice and put that in your mix is not you buying for your lifetime. You're gonna make an impact that's as positive in that one event as in maybe 20 lifetimes you could lead, making an individual consumer choice that's better. I fundamentally believe, and I- It's a compound I, effect. It's, like, it's it, like the way compound interest works. You, you, the scale suddenly really begins to motor, doesn't it? Yes, it, yeah. it does, and, and this is very personal to me. I entered the sustainability space in late 80s, early 90s, Triggered in many ways by the Green Consumer Guide. This is John Elkington, the author, Julie Hales. They published in the early 90s, Green Consumer Guide. It's all about the individual. And I was in business school at that time. And it was a very clear realization that if we're going to change the world for the better through buying, the locus of our effort should not, in my view, I reflected, and again, I was in business school, the locus of our effort should not be the individual. It should be the business because we're either trying to influence 7 billion people to try and buy differently, or 8 billion, or maybe 7,000 or 8,000 who buy a lot of stuff. And they, if they buy better, if that 8,000 people can be engaged and understand this stuff and build that personal interest into their professional life, we're going to accelerate our progress. I mean, just to give you an example, we're, we're sitting here in Las Vegas this week for IMEX America. Um, our team are very passionate about eating more healthily. Um, we've fallen slightly in love with both Beyond and Impossible Burgers. Sorry to put them in the same sentence. I know they're possibly arch rivals. But, but working with the Sands, we, we've, got, we've got Impossible Burger here this week. You, you, know, you know the facts about the difference between a, a meat burger yeah. and an Impossible Burger. And even the water usage, it's 460 for a regular cheeseburger, 460 gallons of water is used to produce a regular cheeseburger, 60 gallons for an Impossible Beyond Burger. So whichever way you cut it, if you care about the planet and about resources and you care about good food, there is now no excuse. There is a margin that we're prepared to pay extra because we care. But actually, the more people who step forward and start to buy, then the costs come down. I mean, those that, of us who's been, who've been to business school, it is an economy. Right. This is the beauty of it. It's not just a kind of namby-pamby, fluffy choice. Yeah. We're talking about business reality here, that this is about making and, or saving money, and you can do both. You can do both, but I do, I do, I do think that cost is a, is a barrier. But there's a perception that anything more sustainable is more costly. Yeah. And so yes, Impossible Meat and Beyond Meat would be more expensive than 
regular meat sometimes. Yeah. But there's a there's a suite of things you can do that have no cost mm -hmm. that have sustainability benefits or indeed cost reduction. Single-use plastic reduction, often there's a direct correlation with that and cost reduction. So again, if you can save here and fund your the more expensive um, choices, mm -hmm. then it's a win-win. You mentioned earlier a little bit um, some social causes, and I know that at, at MGM you do a lot. You do a lot of work around food waste and, and trying to channel some of that into the community. I bumped into Tracy Stockcraft yesterday and said to her, "I'm meeting Yalmaz. What would you ask him? Or what's a good question to ask?" And she encouraged me to talk about the fact that you've um, you've installed some freezers, I believe. So we, this is allowing you to kind of get this. The, the, the waste or the leftover food into the community. Can you talk a bit about that and how that happened? Yeah, happy happy to. It's super exciting program and maybe if I was to reflect on my life so far, it's maybe my legacy project. I, I really love it. I, I love it because it's not just environmental, but there's a real human dimension to it and we're helping people in the community who otherwise would not necessarily experience high quality, nutritious food and they're getting it, and they're getting it regularly, and they're getting it safely. So let me explain this food donations process at MGM, starting with a contrast, mm. okay? Let's imagine a regular uh, event, regular banquet, where, say, a thousand people are expected, 800 people show up, okay? This happens, it happens yeah. all the time. Yeah, it does. You have 200 meals left. The legacy or the historic approach, and candidly, the standard approach to thinking about food donations in our space and outside, in the event space and, and outside, is okay, we've got this food, perishable fruit, hot prepared food. Let us now scurry to quickly get that food to the appropriate charities, right? Then the appropriate charities receive this food, they're gonna now scurry to get that uh, to, to, to feed people. So they've got unknown quantities of food of unknown types arriving now. On the one hand, it's great. There's this free food arriving to them. On the other hand, it's we you know, we don't know how much of that food is then wasted still because they can't they can't feed people. So we worked with Three Square Food Bank, um, who's the main food bank in Las Vegas, and they're actually not a um, they don't actually serve to the final uh, recipient. Right. They simply serve a logistics role. They're in the middle. So they get food from grocery, they get food from food service, um, they buy food and they channel it, and then the community Catholic charity, Salvation Army, others buy, buy that food. For decades, Las Vegas has hosted banquets, and for decades that food waste, the unserved food, has been going to either landfill many years ago, and then to farms, mm -hmm. becomes feed, which is better than landfill, and Vegas is probably the best, one of the best cities in the world in terms of not sending food waste to landfill, but sending it to feed animals and to better use. However, it was actually conversations with convention clients. So a couple of people in Cisco, very passionate, Cisco, the tech, the tech company, yeah. very passionate about, about figuring out something better than up the hierarchy. Instead of feeding animals, let's, let's feed people, but let's do it in a safe way. So we started 2016 um, during Cisco GSX with strong collaboration with Cisco and strong nudges from Cisco as well. Please f figure this out, MGM. So we started working with, with Three Square and we spent months refining the process and how to do this best. So th this is what the process is now. And remember the contrast with the scurry. So when we know the banquet's breaking down, we actually look across five properties now mm. and say, okay, where are the largest banquets breaking down? 
and then three square will spin one or two teams to those places where the largest breakfast bring them. They will then tempt the food. So only talking about only talking about food in hot boxes. So it's okay. not food that's arrived in the in the front. They'll tempt the food. If it's above 135 degrees, we deem it safe to capture. Right. If it's below 135 degrees, it might go to our employee dining room at MGM, or it might go to um, the the the, pig, the farms. Yeah. For the food that is safe, Three Square will move it, transfer it to their pans, and then take it to their um, facility and blast chill it. The important thing for safety is to get from 135 degrees to 70 degrees within two hours. Wow. It's really fast. <clears throat> so candidly, a lot of food that maybe is being donated now shouldn't be donated, mm -hmm. but unless you've got that safety protocol in place. 135 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. I can't quite remember the Celsius numbers. Don't you worry about We'll put it in the notes. <laughs> Good. I have them, but I can't remember them. Um, so that two-hour temperature gradient is really hard to get. So you need, to do this safely at scale, you need blast chillers. They are basically freezers with fans, with extra fans. So you've got airflow, it yep. cools the food down. So now what we're doing, after we've blast chilled it at three square, they freeze it and it stays in inventory. So right now, we have over 3,000 pounds of frozen chicken, frozen mashed potatoes, frozen peas, potato, that a charity can they can look at this inventory of available food and say, for my community meal on Wednesday, where we're targeting feeding 100 people, we're gonna order five, 10 trays of chicken and create a meal. And this is now the highest quality food from you know, resorts in Las Vegas now feeding the it food insecure. It sounds transformative. I mean, well, not only sounds, it clearly is transformative. As you say, who, like, who knows what waste went on in the old day when when the food made it to the food banks, I mean, or even perhaps well, who, how many people perhaps fell ill because the food wasn't, you know, carefully looked after. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we hope we hope few or none fell ill, yeah, exactly. but, but I mean, we don't know. Things, we don't have transparency. Don't know, but exactly, now you've got that end-to-end -end control and, and the process, that's extraordinary. And that those numbers, the, the temperature gradient, we've actually also hired a food safety consultant. So we hired a professor of food safety who guides the federal government wow. on food safety to understand the numbers and make sure you know this is a pretty onerous task to temp it and only collect it if it's over 135 degrees and then get it cooled down so fast to keep it safe but these are guidelines he's he's insisted on the game changer i think kit is we're actually trying to invent a new truck to take that blast chiller that's at three square and put it on a moving vehicle what we've figured out is how we can do that and maybe collect it from one or two places. So you can put new put food in, start the blasting process in this truck, go to the next place, open the door, put new food in, and we're in the testing stage right now to see how many pickups we can do to safely add new food to the same truck so you can start the cooling process while you're traveling so you don't need to collect, 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 and then take it there, and then maybe you're, the food you've collected right at the beginning is out of safety because it's not cooled down. So there's mobile blast chillers being invented right now. It's not ready for prime time, but um, we work with Three Square to create this thing, and uh, we think that can be the game changer if we if we fix figure it out. Can fully. you promise me? I'm going to draw to a close now. But can you promise me that if you do get that truck running, we we can have one on the show floor one year? I think that yeah. would, wouldn't that be cool? I'd love that. If you want to know more about IMAX and the work we do, 
You can find us online at imaxexhibitions.com or you can seek us out on the usual social media channels. We've put them in the notes below for you. Tune in next time.